0: If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. <music> Heavenly Father, speak to us now and lead us to repentance to persevere in faith, and to a genuine love for our neighbour. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Please have a seat and turn to uh, James chapter 2. That's on page 1011. Tonight we come to James chapter 2 and verses 1 to 13 and to the royal law. But first, the context the churches James, the brother of Jesus, was writing to were rather like JPC. They were evangelical churches, Bible teaching, Bible studying churches, but they needed to be told, back in chapter 1 and verse 22, be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And we need to be told too, Too often we can be hearers and not doers. Now James is writing this letter to encourage his readers to persevere in faith, that they may be mature. What's the how of perseverance in faith? Well, verse 22 again. Be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. Hearing and heeding the word of God in the power of the Holy Spirit putting God's word into practice in Christ's strength. For as we'll see next time, faith without works is dead. Genuine faith in Christ leads to good works. We're not saved by works, but we are saved by grace through faith in Christ for good works, which here is to love your neighbor, which is everyone, as yourself whether they're rich or poor, which is the royal law. We've already seen this back in chapter 1 with regard to true religion. We're not to be worldly, but godly. And a godly response to the poor is not optional for a Christian, but essential. Look at verses 26 to 27 of chapter 1. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, This person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. James is not saying that doing those things makes you a Christian. Neither is James saying that those things in verses 26 to 27 are the sum total of a genuine Christian discipleship. What he is saying is, is that if they're missing, our genuineness as Christians is in question. The former Wimbledon finalist, Agnieszka Radwanska, proclaimed in 2011 that she was not ashamed of her faith in the Lord Jesus, and that she wanted to set an example to young people. She was pictured on the tennis court, standing next to the name Jesus, written out in tennis ball. This year, apparently, she posed nude in a U.S. magazine. The two don't go together. She is deceiving herself. We're to keep ourselves unstained from the world in the power of the Spirit. But very importantly, also in this way, by looking after orphans and widows, And that little phrase really stands out here. Yes, Christians must support gospel work, because no one else will. But, verse 27, we must also look after the poor. And the ideal is to do both together, to show God's love for the whole person. As we'll see, we must not show favoritism by only ministering the gospel to the relatively wealthy, to those in our own comfort zone. Perhaps, But to everyone, St. Joseph really is an amazing and right opportunity to love our neighbor as ourselves. And at the start of chapter 2, James continues with another ungodly response to the poor, which is favoritism towards the rich. But that's part of a wider principle which James reminds his readers of in verse 1 of chapter 2. Have a look at that verse. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Hearing and heeding the word of God means that Christians are to show no partiality, that we're to have no favorites. Instead, we're to love Mercifully. We're to love our neighbours as ourselves. You see, as verse 1 makes clear, showing partiality or favoritism and having faith in Jesus Christ cannot coexist. It's like oil and water, you cannot mix them. But often we think that we can mix faith and favoritism whether it's our attitude to those who are important in the world's terms or by going around in cliques. But God says no. It's not possible to mix faith and partiality. God does not show favoritism and neither should his people. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 17 to 20. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you are sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. God is not partial. In Acts chapter 10, Peter declares that God shows no partiality. The gospel is for all. Gentile disciples of Christ don't have to become Jews first. Verse 34 of Acts chapter 10, So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. John chapter 3, verse 16 states, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And in Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 to 29, Paul says, Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone, with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature or better perfect in Christ. Not just potential leaders. Yet we can so easily show favoritism. We can think often based on outward appearance that such and such a person will never become a Christian, so I won't bother with them. Or that uh, that a Christian could be hard work, So are still clear of helping to disciple them. Maybe you just become part of the supposed inner circle in church. And now you're in, you want to make it hard for the next person to join. And then it becomes very difficult for newcomers to break into the church and to make friends. Exclusion in the inner circle is no accident. It is its essence. And yes, this does happen at JPC. But why? Is it just what we do? Why do we forget that God doesn't show partiality, and so we're not to either? Why do we forget that if we're trusting in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, that we're not to show favoritism? Well, let's have a look at the illustration given by James in verses 2 to 6. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith? and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. James imagines a scene in one of the churches he's writing to. Into the 6.30 service comes an obviously rich man. And in comes an obviously poor man. And the rich man gets the better treatment. Because he's the, in quotes, more important neighbor. The easier neighbor to love. Perhaps the more rewarding neighbor to love. Now we would never do that, would we? No special seats here, are there? Why? What drives this favoritism? Well, the hope of favor. We hope we'll gain favor from those we show favoritism to. But why in the church? Well, for the same reason. James was writing to churches where many were facing persecution and perhaps unemployment as a consequence. And a man with a golden ring enters, perhaps signifying someone from the elite of the Roman army, an equestrian officer who had money. So a fuss is made of him, hoping he'll stay and provide necessary funds. And similar thoughts can go through our minds today. Or more widely, perhaps, we show favoritism for reasons of comfort, or safety, or an easy conversation, and we veer away from those who seem odd or very quiet. It's just easier if they don't join our crew so to speak. What about in our small groups? Who do we sit with in those? Who do we invite to lunch from those? Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Who gets a say at JPC? Well, I've no reason to think that this is actually the case, but uh, We must guard against it being those with money. And sometimes we can all like to be around those who have an important role. Then there are those who may feel they've missed out on having a say. Or feel outside the in crowd. Who then gather together and grumble together. And it becomes another inner circle. This time an inner circle of envy. Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So why does James give such a strong prohibition to partiality? Because, verse 4, favoritism is incredibly serious. It is evil. So what are the reasons why the sin of partiality is so serious. Well, one, as we've already seen, it is inconsistent with faith in Christ. Verse 1. When you consider what Jesus did, what Jesus taught, how Jesus behaved, and who he died for, there is no justification for favoritism. It is not compatible with faith in Jesus Christ. Two, it makes us judges with evil thoughts, verse 4. James is saying that the treatment we give to people in this way depends upon our thoughts about them. This is unsorting and dishonoring to them and to God. You're making judgments you've no right to make, says James. It is evil to show partiality. Look at verse 4. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? You see, we must have forgetful hearts. Have you forgotten what you were before you came to faith in Christ? You were an outsider. You've now been born into royalty. What other favor could you possibly need? Have you forgotten that you are in with the Lord through faith? You are in with the one who's the Lord of glory. You have a friend in high places. What favor can you hope to gain from showing favoritism that can compare with that? Have you forgotten that it's the rich who are dragging you into court, says James? Don't set aside God's good purposes for you in the foolish pursuit of earthly favor. Only one rich man came into this world for your favor. Jesus Christ. Again, think of what you were when you were called. God chooses the outsider, the favorless, the foreigner, the poor, the spiritually poor, the criminal. God wants to spend eternity with them. And often we can't even spend an evening with them. This should jolt us. And have you forgotten that in Christ your cup overflows? Look at verse 5. Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? God deliberately calls many, peop- many poor people to himself to overturn our worldly value systems. In the world, if you're rich, you're important. If you're rich, you're in. You have access to things, to places, to people, to opportunity. So God deliberately calls lots of poor people to show the world that our riches and ladders of importance cut no ice with him at all the only way in with God, the only access to being one of God's people is to admit our spiritual poverty and come with everyone else to the cross of Christ for mercy. Where the ground is totally level. And James says, how dare we unlevel the ground again and accept and love one another preferentially. No, verse 8, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. And we're not to narrow down that definition of neighbor to our rich neighbor. Our neighbor is everyone, poor and rich. How does chapter 2 apply to our congregation? It means we'll welcome in and accommodate whoever comes, whatever background. We'll work hard not to send out the signal by who we talk to or by laying on social things that are costly and therefore exclude people that we're a church for the richer. And then it applies to our place in the worldwide body of Christ. Very simply, do we favor ourselves? For example, are we giving much more to ourselves here than to our poorer brothers and sisters worldwide? Three, partiality is wrong because God makes no such distinctions. Verse five, God is not a respecter of persons. When we engage in the kind of behavior James describes, we're not acting as God's children. Four, it dishonors the poor man. Verse six, Why should we dishonour someone simply or merely because of their low income, their low financial status? The answer is we shouldn't. One Peter chapter two, verse seventeen says we're to honour everyone. Five, it makes no sense when you consider as a class the rich were those who oppressed Christian believers. Verse 6 and 7. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? Some of those who were rich and powerful oppressed Christian believers. And you can see more about that in James chapter 5 and verses 1 to 6. Yet when someone of that class appears here, he's honored and the common man is shunned. Six, it violates the law of love, verses 8 to 13. The royal law of love for God and our neighbor is ignored when the sin of partiality is practiced. Look at verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Favoritism has no place in God's kingdom. To show it is to reject His word and His law. Verses 10 and 11, a lawbreaker is a lawbreaker to our God. It reveals your attitude to Him and to His ways. You see, verse 12, if we're trusting in Christ then we've been free to live by the law of his kingdom, to live by the royal law, free to live in a whole new way, freed from the fearful pursuit of inner circles, of in-crowds, and from playing at favourites, and filled with his favour. Free to laugh without fear of the cost, with no expectation of favor in return. Who needs to hear that tonight? Surely our witness to Tyneside would be radical if we heeded this simple command. Wouldn't it be wonderful if people looked in on us as a church family and saw this royal law and kingdom at play, that there's no favorites here? Why? Because we're all royalty in Christ and we're the ones who follow the way of the king how compelling would the invitation to come and meet our king would be the only king who came into this world who picked up his crown and laid it aside to bring you and me favor God's love is free for everyone And God commands us to love everyone. So don't show favoritism. Don't treat others according to outward appearance. For if we claim to be followers of Jesus, we must do what pleases him. Don't just listen to his word. Do what it says. I must conclude. But look again at verses 12 and 13. Showing favoritism is tantamount to saying to God, Your system of mercy, I despise it. Your costly way of love is a foolish way to live in this world. To which our God says, You want to live by a law outside the law of grace and mercy? Well, so be it. You will be judged without mercy. But know this, verse 13. It's not a foolish way forward. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Witness the cross of Christ. Even now, those of us who are believers but who forget our glorious Savior and His inheritance. The bankruptcy of the favoritism system of the world. Those of us who play at favorites come these very precious words indeed. James chapter 4 and verse 6. He gives us more grace. Every time we fail in this area, he gives fresh grace to the humble believer. So let's come in humble repentance, asking for fresh grace and for him to lead us Towards maturity in Christ. Let's pray together. And just a moment of quiet as we ourselves respond to God's word in prayer. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.